0: Okie dokie, so today uh, I want to have a quick look at the topic of covenant, which I know you're all very thrilled about, Um, and, and you should be thrilled about it because from the very beginning, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, the concept of covenant is like the key kind of unifying structural theological theme of the Bible. It's the thing that holds the whole story together. Uh, so there are various covenants and they are really important um theologically but also to the narrative uh which is why when we talk about the bible we talk about the old testament and the new testament and that word testament is actually when you find what it actually is it is the word covenant uh, so we, for some reason, translate that as testament, uh, but the Greek word and the, uh, the Hebrew word that it was derived from, um, and there's some Latin thrown in there as well. But basically, when we say new Old Testament, New Testament, what we're really saying is Old Covenant, New Covenant. That's where that uh, word comes from. In fact, the, in the Old Testament, that word um, testament that we translate as covenant is in there 284 times. So it's there all over the place. Uh, So an academic uh, definition of covenant for you is a solemn commitment guaranteeing promises or obligations undertaken by one or both covenanting parties. Very exciting stuff. Uh, So typically a covenant was ratified or like consummated or shown to be, you know, like, yep, it's definitely happening um, by sacrificing specific animals or, um, which is where we get the term to to cut a covenant or to cut a deal. Uh, it's because they would take an animal and they would cut it in half. Uh, so that's really gory. Uh, and, and and the imagery of that, because it was all about a theater, it was, an, it was about uh, imagery, is to say, I'm going to cut this animal in half and put half of it here and half of it here, and then I'm going to walk through its entrails and blood As a sign that if I break my word, if I violate this covenant, if I am not faithful, that I should end up like this animal, torn in two and bloodied. That's the the imagery or the theater of this, of the practice of of sacrifice. Uh, So the Bible records covenants between God and his people, uh, but it also records covenants between people and people and tribes and other people. So think about things like marriage. A marriage covenant is a commitment between two people to remain faithful and monogamous and, and commit certain duties to one another until death do your part. Uh, and yeah, and as I fell saying, if you're not monogamous, then you'll get cut. You'll get in big trouble. Uh, so the idea of a of a marriage covenant is that it it joins you in partnership and commitment. Uh, so we have treaties, so uh, international treaties and tribal alliances and legal contracts and pledges, all of these things were used in the ancient Near East to form contract and agreement and covenant. Um, so, and the way that we describe this uh, in, in ancient Near Eastern terms is to talk about kinship. Uh, so what's important about kinship is though, to be kin is to be family, So if you have a tribe that's somewhere else near you and you don't want them to kill you, uh, then you need to have an agreement with them that says, please don't kill us and we won't kill you because people in the ancient Near East, as it turns out, were quite barbaric and they did often invade and live in fear of one another. So they would say, well, in order to have agreement with you, we need to become family because I don't trust you otherwise. The only people I have a commitment to that I have to honor is someone who is my family. So to come into a kinship relationship with someone was, the, was what the point of covenant was. So when we think about marriage or adoption, we understand that it is possible to take someone who is not actually your family and make them your family. So you, you have a covenant relationship of, that makes kinship. So we call that a fictive, kin, uh, a fictive kinship relationship. It's a made up family but it is a binding made up family. You, all of the responsibilities that you would have to family, you now have to one another through covenant. The legal impact of a covenant is the same as the kind of impact that we see when we think about marriage and when we think about adoption. It's a created fictive kinship that brings both privilege, but also obligation. Now, covenants, this is not just a biblical thing. Sometimes uh, in, in church history or Christian history or Jewish history, ancient history, we like to think that, that, you know, like that it's the Israelites came up with everything new, but that's probably not the case. When we look in history, we find across the ancient Near East, covenant was a thing that all peoples did. And it's likely God went, wow, this is a great way that people relate to one another. I am going to go and relate to them in the same way. They understand how to create family, so we're going to do that. Now, you could argue that God created a covenant with Adam. I'm going to talk about that in a second, um, because there are uh, six significant covenants in the Scripture that hold the whole kind of narrative together, but only five of them use the covenantal language. So the Adamic covenant doesn't actually say covenant, but all of the pieces of covenant are there, so I like to include it uh, in this conversation. But when we look at, like, uh, in history, the Hittites um in like in my notes here i have 1400 to 1200 bc they we found some of their covenantal documents which is amazing so we can actually read them and go oh wow they had covenants in the same way that when we look at the ten commandments we can look at uh the code of Hammurabi, which is another ancient near eastern thing they had legal documents that reflect the way that the Ten Commandments were written. So across the ancient Near Eastern world, the idea of covenant was well known in the same way that the idea of of laws were well known. And they became part of the basis for how humanity did relationship with one another and with God. It's part of their cultural framework for how different nations interacted with each other. So imagine that you are like is Israel, which is stuck in the middle of this Canaan uh, Cana area. And above you, you have like Persians and Syrians and great powers. They're like an empire of power. And below you, you have the Egyptians who are an empire of power. So you're stuck in the middle of these two huge empires, which means your little bit of land becomes really, really valuable because both empires want to control you. So you would end up with a relationship of what we would call a caesarean and a vassal or a king and a a servant nation. So you would have a treaty or a covenant with uneven nations. So I have a covenant with my kids. It's very uneven. I covenant to do all sorts of things and they basically do nothing. And I still have to love them and provide for them and look after them um, and stick up for them. Uh, So the same was true with um, the nations that kind of, you would have nations that would covenant with more powerful nations and the more powerful nation would say, if anyone picks on you, we will defend you. But the less powerful nation then had to agree to give them, um, what's, the, what's the technical word for it? treaty? the uh, uh, Tribute. They had to give tribute. So the, the lesser nation would give taxes or tribute. Sometimes what would happen is you would have the, uh, the king or the pharaoh or the um, Tsar or the whoever it was would actually gift land to people and say, now you have to give me taxes on the land or tribute on the land and I'll look after you. You are my vassal. You are my servant. So you would have national treaties that were uneven in their power. Now, if the lesser power, they weren't allowed to make treaties with anyone else, because that would be treason. But you could also have relationships of equal power, where you would have an even covenantal relationship, and that's what we would see in something like a marriage. So at a tribal level or a national level, a treaty is between two great powers who would like to have shared interests. So in God's covenantal relationships, he always initiates and that is a reflection of his great favor and grace towards us. He does not need tribute from us. God doesn't need anything from you. He already has all the things that he needs. So it is a very unusual relationship because instead of God saying, I will give you protection or blessing um, and you give me all the things I need. He just says, I'm going to bless you because I love you. It's, it's a completely uneven relationship. It's a really beautiful relationship. Right, so I want to jump in now. I want to look at these. There are five clear covenants, but I'm going to add the Adamic, which is the covenant between God and Adam, even though the language in Scripture doesn't explicitly call it a covenant. Um, and now with a covenant in Scripture, they are uh, we have covenant and then they have conditions. Some of them are unconditional, but some of them have conditions. So we'll look at that as well. Uh, so I found in Genesis 1, 26 to 30 and two sixteen to 17, there is the Adamic covenant, which is just general. And it basically included a command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it's an, there is a condition there. It's a don't eat from that tree and everything will work out well for you. Everything will work out well, it's, but there was a curse for sin. Uh, but this covenant also spoke of future redemption. That future redemption coming through their lineage. Um, you know, like it says that um, one would come that would strike the, the serpent, but the serpent would strike his heel as well. And we know that that is a prophetic foreshadowing of Christ overcoming death and sin. Then we have the Noah covenant obviously named after Noah. This is a general covenant and it's unconditional. Does anyone want to take a guess at what the covenant, maybe even the kids might even know this. What was the covenant God made with Noah? He would never flood or destroy the world like that again. And then there was a sign of the covenant. What was the sign? The sign was a rainbow. So every time we see a rainbow, we can remember the covenant that God wouldn't destroy the world uh, like that again. Um, so in the Noah covenant, we have, what is it? Genesis 9, 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So God covenants with mankind unconditionally to never allow this to happen again. And then there is a rainbow, which is the sign of that covenant, the thing that we look to to remember that promise. Okay, so that was, we had Adamic, Noahic, and then, does anyone want to take a guess at who the next key character God covenants with is? This is the big one. Abraham. Very good. Abraham, and this is a mostly uh, unconditional covenant. In this covenant, uh, first made in Genesis 12, to 3 God promises blessing on Abraham and his descendants to make his name great and to make his progeny into a great nation. The covenant also promised blessing to those who blessed Abraham and curses to those who cursed Abraham. And God vowed to bless the entire world through Abraham's seed. And the fulfillment of this covenant is seen today in the history of Abraham's descendants in the creation of the nation of Israel and the blessings that have come. Like I think that this is, this covenant is the very beginning of the Bible and we still live in the blessing of it now. The worldwide blessing then came through Jesus Christ, uh, who was from Abraham's family line. Now, there was a covenantal sign of God's faithfulness here. Uh, This was the least fun of all the signs. Does anyone know what the sign was that they would use to remember this covenant? The circumcision. Uh, Yeah, well, half the room can understand why that's not fun. Now, uh, this kind of has a second little part, and that was this idea of covenant with Israel that was unconditional. And some Christians get caught up on this one. This is in Deuteronomy 31 to 10. It says that God promises to scatter Israel if they disobey, but then he will restore them later to their land. Now, the fulfillment of this covenant, it happened when the, during the Babylonian captivity and then the rebuilding of Jerusalem under Cyrus the Great. Some Christians... I suspect some Jews also believe that it needs to happen a second time. Uh, sorry, that it did happen a second time when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. But then the regathering still needs to happen, which is why you have lots of flag-waving, shofar-blowing Christians who think that we need to restore Israel and that we all need to bless Israel and that it's God's, you know, prerogative to hate on the Palestinians and all this kind of political nonsense. Because there's a promise in Scripture that's unconditional. I think it's more likely that that already was fulfilled. And even if it wasn't, all of these promises are fulfilled in Christ. They are not fulfilled by the subjugation of a people and fighting over a tiny bit of land. Nonetheless, that kind of falls into that category of Abrahamic covenant. So we have the Adamic covenant, then we have the Noahic covenant, then the uh, Abrahamic covenant. And then after the Abrahamic covenant, we had a Mosaic covenant. In Deuteronomy 11 and elsewhere, where God promises the Israelites a blessing if they are obedient, so you'll see here this is conditional, uh, but also a curse for disobedience. Now, then the rest of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant book, basically describes how Israel were not upholding their end of the deal. So again and again, instead of getting the blessing, they, they get the curses. They end up, and the curses mean they get what they deserve. God just says, all right, you don't want me to be your God, I'll step back. you'll get what you deserve i'm not going to protect you um it's not god coming in and saying great now i'm going to hurt you that's not how god operates he says okay i will give you the consequence of your action now there was a sign for covenantal uh, faithfulness i'll be impressed if anyone knows what this one is in the mosaic covenant what was the thing that god said you should do that set you apart from all those other nations and the one day a week, I'd like you to rest and have a Sabbath. So the sign of this covenant was the Sabbath day of rest. All right, we're getting there. We're almost. So we had Abrahamic covenant, and then we had not only no, we had the Adamic covenant, and then we had Noah, then Abrahamic, and then Mosaic, and then the next big covenant is the Davidic covenant. This is number five on my list. On my list in two Samuel seven eight to sixteen. God promises to bless David's family line and assures him an everlasting kingdom. So it is from this family line that Jesus is born. Now there are a whole bunch of, like when you look at the the, um, uh, the genealogies of Christ, that's really cool because you can see all the different people and different, and lots of the people that kind of had a role in that were not the right people. There were people outside of the family of Israel and there were people who were kind of the, the people you would shun in society all managed to get into this lineage. I think it's really beautiful. But Jesus came from this lineage of David, uh, which is why he is often called the son of David. Um, and that is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant in Christ coming as, as as part of this family of David. And then when Christ arrived, we end up with one last significant covenant that holds together everything. And that is what we call the new covenant. This covenant uh, is first found uh, in Jeremiah 31 31 to 34, and God promises to forgive sins and to have an unbroken relationship with his people. Um, it was first made to Israel and then it was for, uh, made to all people. Uh, in, in Matthew 26:28, we see that. Uh, in fact, in Hebrews 19, I'll, uh, sorry Hebrews nine, I'll read this to you. It says, "For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And now that he has died as a ransom, to set them free from their sins committed under the first covenant. And the sign of this new covenant is communion, uh, which is why we are going to share in communion together today. Uh, It's a ritual that helps us to remember Jesus and remember his new kingdom, his new covenant, his new world that he is creating and to commit to live out the beautiful vision of the kingdom. When we look at the Beatitudes, and it has this picture of what will be, what can be, what should be, and what will be. Uh, That is the kingdom that we remember uh, when we have communion. Uh, Many ancient covenants were sealed with a meal. So they would sacrifice animals, they would walk through the the blood, they would do that thing. Uh, But then they wouldn't just leave that meat there to rot, Uh, they would would cook it and they would eat it together together. Uh, there are, are times in Scripture where you see them having a feast on the meal uh, from the the sacrifice, uh, and it's I think that's the the key part of the of the deal is to to eat the food together, uh, a covenant meal between parties. Now I just want to finish with with looking at a particular covenantal kind of process because I think that it foreshadows something beautiful. This is the Abrahamic. Uh, covenant i'm going to read for you in genesis 15 it says but abram because remember his name was abram at this point but abram said sovereign lord what can you give me since i s- uh, remain childless now god has already promised him that he'll have uh, you know s- children like descendants uh like sand on the seashore or whatever like and it hasn't happened and lots of years have passed now Ab- abram is an old man so he's kind of having a bit of a whinge Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And and then God says this to him. He says, "Uh, Bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. You see, here we have all the elements that we need for a covenant. We have the covenant partners. We have some animals. They've been cut. It's all. It's all about to happen here. Uh, and remember, God doesn't need to do this. God's word is true, and God doesn't need anything from Abram, but He knows that Abram is nervous. He knows that Abram, he's made these promises to Abram and Abram's like, how do I know that this is really going to happen? So God condescends to him. He comes down to his level and he says, I will do what you understand. I will make covenant with you. I'll make these promises to you in a way that you will feel sure and confident of. And in verse 12, it says, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Which sounds kind of terrifying, and it probably is. The last time someone went into a deep sleep like this, he woke up missing a rib, and Eve was there. You don't want to fall into a deep dark sleep. You never know what's going to happen at the end of this one. And more, it says the darkness, the darkness, the dreaded darkness came over him. I don't know if you've ever heard the term theophany. It's a fancy way to say the presence of God turns up. Whenever we see theophany in the the Old Testament, like one of the things that is often associated with that is a deep darkness that comes. So when God descended on Sinai, uh, it says a darkness kind of came down and everyone was really terrified. This is what happens. A darkness descended and he went into a deep sleep. When the sun had set, And darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land. And he continued to share this covenant. You see, and what's incredible here is in a normal covenant, both covenant partners pass through the blood. Both covenant partners pass through the broken sacrifice to signify, if I break this covenant, may I be as these pieces of meat are. May I be torn asunder. May I be cut. May I bleed if I break my promise. But Abram is in a deep, dark sleep and the fire pot, which is the presence of the Lord, passes through the broken elements of this sacrifice. God covenants and he says, I will covenant even though you can't. You can't meet the the standard of my covenant, but I can, and I will covenant for both of us. I will covenant for both of us. You see, the problem was is that Abram's descendants would go on to break again and again and again the covenants that they had made with God. But God says, I will covenant for both of us. And so when we see this, Later on in Scripture, this is a foreshadowing of Christ coming and his body being broken and his blood being shed because he pays the price. It's his body that is torn for us and his blood that is shed for us in order to restore and honor and meet the standard of this covenant. In Matthew 26, when Jesus sits at the Passover meal with his disciples, it says, Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And he says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, Jesus knew what he was doing, and he knew where he was going and what was about to come upon him. And he says, this wine, it represents my blood that is shed for the forgiveness of sins. In uh, in in Luke it records this this same meal, in Luke 22, and we learn that 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 this is part of the Passover festival, when Jesus is breaking bread. The Last Supper is a Passover meal, and the Passover is this uh, remembrance of something that happened all the way back in Egypt, uh, when when um, the Pharaoh had defied God again and again and again and again. Uh, so God steps back and, and, and the angel of destruction comes through Egypt and, and all of the firstborn sons of Egypt uh, are slain by this angel of destruction, except for the Israelites. They take the blood of sacrifice from a lamb and they put it on the eaves of their doors and, and the angel passes over their homes and, and they are, are not punished in that way. And, and this Passover feast, Jesus is, is then calling back to this sacrifice. He says, I am the blood of the sacrifice and I protect and I cover you and my blood covers all of the sin and pays the price. In the old story, the blood of the lamb protected the Israelites and God then delivers them out of Egypt and out of slavery and bondage into a promised land. And in this new covenant, this new story, it's Jesus' blood that brings us deliverance from the slavery of sin and death. And it ushers us into a new kingdom. And the old covenant, um, the the laws that were given in the Mosaic covenant were written on stone. But in the new covenant, it's written on our hearts. So in the old covenant, the law was there to punish you, to force you to behave right. But in the new covenant, we are transformed. And as we become more like Christ, we are more inclined to do what's right. Instead of being um oppressed by the law from the outside, we are compelled and inspired by Christ from the inside. We are transformed. So I'll just I'll read through this um this Luke uh, version and, and maybe as I do that um if you want to come and grab the communion stuff, Chris, um and, and prepare that for us. This is in Luke twenty-two, fourteen to twenty. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And in this way, communion is the sign of the new covenant and as we partake in these elements together we rededicate ourselves to this covenant uh, but more we rededicate ourselves in remembrance as christ said remember me remember my sacrifice and remember everything that i taught so this is a ritual we share to say uh, we don't do this alone It's a ritual we share as a body, as a community to say together we remember and together we journey uh, towards seeing his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Heavenly Father, thank you that you generously covenant with us. That you love us, uh, that you sacrifice of yourself for us, that you come down to our level to meet us. So I pray as we take this communion now, we would remember you and that we would uh, just be grateful. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.